we want to talk about faith. Okay? We want to talk on the topic of faith. But from a very unique perspective. From the perspective of adversity. Now I know when you hear adversity, some of you would cringe. It's like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. Because if I talk about it, it's going to come. You know, some people are very superstitious, right? Oh, you know, if you talk about it, it will come. You know, we Christians are not like that, amen? We know that in life, we will face adversity from time to time. It is a fact of life. But I pray today that after we have spent a 30 minutes together or 30, 40 minutes together, that you will look at adversity with a different eye, with the eye of faith, from a perspective of faith. You will not look at adversity like the people in the world. They are, they're scared, they cringe, and they try to run away from it. But that, yes, it will be painful from time to time. But you will look at adversity as an opportunity for you to triumph in Christ Jesus. Because adversity is not there so that you can be tortured and tormented. There is a purpose for that. I pray that the Lord would change your thinking, would change your mind about adversity. Now, in the midst of great difficulty, God, if you are open-minded, will open your eyes to see opportunities. I don't know if you remember the story of Hagar. I know we don't talk about Hagar a lot in churches, but Hagar, you know, she had been likened unto, you know, the flesh and different things. But Hagar, if you remember, had a promise from God. Did you know that Hagar had a promise from God himself? So Hagar was being sent away with her, with her son by Abraham and Sarah because, you know, uh, Isaac was only be the only person to inherit all that Abraham had. So Sarah and also agreed by God that Hagar needs to be sent away with her son. And so there they're being rejected, sent into the desert, sent into the place of insecurity, sent into the unknown. And you know, desert is a very harsh place. It's a harsh environment. So she was being sent there. And so she was wandering in the desert. There was no water, no water, nothing. And she was so upset because her son Ishmael was suffering. And Ishmael was crying out because he was in pain. And so she couldn't handle it anymore. So she left Ishmael in a bush. And that she was just going to walk away. Because she couldn't handle the fact that her son was suffering and she didn't want to see it. And that she felt that her son would probably die soon and she didn't want to see that either. So she left Ishmael in the bush and she walked away. And she walked away sobbing, crying. Because woe was her because now she was alone. No covering, no protection. Just all on her own with a vulnerable son. And she was sobbing and crying. And the angel of the Lord showed up. The angel of the Lord showed up on behalf of God. And do you remember what the angel of the Lord said to her? The angel of the Lord comforted her. And the angel of the Lord gave her a promise. That out of Ishmael, there will be 12 kings. 12 nations will rise out of Ishmael. And so, she believed in God. And this is what happened. The Word of God says, He opened 
our eyes. In adversity, he opened her eyes. Do you know what she saw? She saw a pool of water to nurture her soul and her son. From that point onwards, things become well. Ishmael did grow up. God fulfilled his promise. Why am I telling you this? Some of us feel like we have been sent to a desert in the midst of adversity. Nowhere to run to, nowhere to go, unfamiliar. It's parched, it's dry, it's hot. It's hopeless. You're here for a reason this morning. I believe God has a word for you. Those of you listening on the internet, I believe God has a word for you. This is your season. Adversity is an opportunity to triumph. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 7, Peter says, that in this you rejoice, though for now a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, is being tested, your faith is being tested, that, that, that tested faith, the genuineness of your faith, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter is saying is this, is that our faith will be tested. Your faith will be tested. My faith will be tested. This is our life. This is life. Life is full of adversity. But, but for the believers, you and I will always be tested in our faith. Now, not only does faith, that does, uh, does um, um, uh, uh, adversity test our faith, adversity does much more than testing our faith. In fact, from faith perspective, adversity is always a gateway to something greater. Adversity is always a gateway to triumph. Adversity may not necessarily be a bad thing. Many of us are saved as a result of the many adversities of men and women of God who had gone before us, stay persistent, stay the course. Our parents or, or some pastors or minister so that they could preach the gospel so that our family can receive it or we can receive it. And that's why we're sitting here today. They've gone through adversity, but instead of running away from adversity, they allow adversity to build them to become men and women of God they were so that they could preach the gospel to you and I so that we can have triumph in Christ Jesus. Another thing is this. There's no such thing as faith without adversity. You cannot have faith without adversity. And that's why when you get to heaven, you don't need faith anymore because in heaven there is no adversity. Are you here this morning? Faith is a tool that God has given us to become triumphant and become overcomer on this planet earth. But when you get to heaven, you don't need faith anymore. Because you know everything and that on there will be no adversity. The Bible says he will wipe away all your tears. There will be no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more adversity. But while you're on earth, as you live by faith, you can be assured that there will be adversity. And also faith, as you know, does not grow without resistance and adversity. 
When you live a Christian life that doesn't have any resistance, watch out. Your faith is now dormant. And your faith will become weaker and weaker and weaker. You know, many believers think they have great faith when things are well. It's not that they have great faith. It's just they emotionally feel good. That's different from great faith. Great faith is actually tested when you are losing something or being defeated or struggling with something. Prayer not answer, prayer defer, and yet you still believe and you still praise God. That's faith. Faith is not like, oh, things are great. Praise the Lord, I have great faith. No, you don't need great faith when things are great. You just feel good when things are great and it's okay. And you praise the Lord when things are great. But faith comes to play when things are awful. Things are not going the way that you want. You still praise God. That's faith. Finally, miracles always happen in the midst of adversity. You know, Jesus, when he finished feeding 5,000, he sent his disciple in a boat to go over the other side to experience another miracle. But while they were in the boat, Jesus knew from eternity that he was sending them into a storm. And you're thinking to yourself, Jesus, why are you so cruel? No, he wasn't cruel. Jesus knew the end before the beginning. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He wanted to reveal himself in a way that they have never seen before. He wants to reveal his power. He wants to reveal his divinity like they never seen before. They've seen provision, miracle provision. They've seen the miracle of healings. But this they haven't seen. Jesus walking on water. And so they're in the midst of storm. In the midst of storm, Jesus revealed himself. Ladies and gentlemen, you may be in the midst of storm today. And God wants to reveal himself in another way to you that you've never witnessed and experienced before. And I encourage you, don't close your eyes and go, Mommy, Mommy, help me and close your eyes. Open your eyes. Jesus may be walking in that storm. You may be able to see it. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember that? They were thrown in a fire. And they would have never experienced a miracle of being in the fire and not being burned. And that the Son of God is walking together with them in the fire. If they had not been thrown in the fire, they would not have the experience. We wouldn't be talking about Tertulli. The fact that he was thrown into the fire, they were thrown in the fire. And they continued to trust and believe in God. They experienced great miracles. Miracles are at your door today. And it can, comes in the guise of adversity. I got three scriptures for you. The three scriptures are the promises of God. Let's go to the first one. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you, not if you, when you. How many know the difference between when you and if you? When you means when it happened. Oh, it will definitely happen. If means, maybe, maybe not 50-50. But the word of God says, when you. So which means, watch out. So when you face trials of various kind, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The, st the, the testing of your faith, here you go again, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Second promise, John 6, 16 verse 33. I've said these things to you. That in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will. You will have tribulation. But take heart. 
I've overcome the world. The last one, 1 Timothy, verse, chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will what? Be persecuted. Well, guess what? These are the promises of God. I know a lot of people don't like to hear about it. They want to teach about all the positive. I do too. But I also know that you and I from time to time have to go through trials and adversity. And this church is trying to equip you that when you are going through difficulties and trials, you will stand tall. You will come out on the other end stronger, greater, accomplished more in a different glory in Jesus' name. And that's what we're trying to prepare you to, to, to face the trials. And I heard someone ask a pastor, um, I was going to say recently, that was like 50 years ago. Someone asked a pastor, he said, Pastor, how can I live a life without adversity? How can I live a life as though I'm in heaven? Well, the preacher thought about it a little bit, and then he gave this answer. Well, that's very easy. Stop breathing. When you stop breathing, that's when you stop having adversity and persecution and trouble and trials. There's no way you can avoid that. Even if you're not Christians today, if you're not believers, you know and I know that the world we're living in is full of tribulation. In this world, you will have tribulation. You know, the gospel we preach is not the gospel that says you have no problem. That's a lie. The gospel we preach is not when you believe in Jesus and become Christians, everything is going to be fine and dandy. You're going to be, you know, laying on the east of bed and you know, flowing in the river of whatever wonderful. That's not the gospel we preach. But the gospel we preach is a gospel of peace, joy in the Holy Spirit in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of, of, of adversity, in the midst of it, instead of complaining, instead of worrying about it, instead of thinking about it, instead of having great stress about it, you have peace, you have rest, you have joy, you have hope, you have all that God has given to his saints. In spite of all the persecution, you still live like you're in heaven. That's the promise of God. That's the gospel we preach. And that's your inheritance. That's your portion. It's your today but he didn't promise you that he will not have any problem for you that never had been promised by God now every time when you and I found ourselves in adversity is one of two things because we've done something wrong that's true or that we've done something right do you know that you can get yourself in adversity if you do something right that could happen too. You remember Job? The word of God said he was a man of God. You know, fear God. God was so proud of him. And guess what happened? His wife died. His children died. All his family got taken away. All his assets and riches got taken away. And he got into some sickness, you know. And if he, if he was hanging out with the, around with the religious people, and he did, they would have tried to tell him, look at your life. Maybe you've done something wrong. you sinned or whatever. Right? Hello. A lot of religious people talk like that. Ugh. And they were supposed to be close friends. You watch out for those close friends that are religious. Because when you're in your tough time, they're going to squeeze you down. They're going to thump you down. Oh, I don't want religious people as my friends. Hello. <laughs> I preached one time a topic. Bar is safer than church. You know when you go to bar... Right? 
I mean, think about that. I'm not advocating bar. Some of you under 18, don't listen to me, right? Kristen, just close your ears. You know, when you go to a bar, you know, you sit in front of a bartender and you just, you just order some drinks, you know, what you do is you just pour your heart out to the bartender, right? Well, does the bartender ever give you a scripture, you know, you know, that saith the Lord, blah, 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 or maybe you're sin in your life. No, the bartender just take it in and just listen and you want more, you know? <laughs> want me to pour you another whiskey or whatever, right? And so it's very comforting sometimes, in the, but more so in the church, because in the church, when you tell some Christians of your problem, the first thing they go is, oh, I don't know, I feel like God is probably trying to tell you something, that you've done something wrong, you've sinned, or whatever, there's your mistakes, or some decision you've done. And I was like, oh, come on. Do you know that when you go to a hospital, you're really sick, you're really in pain, the last thing you need is a doctor to tell you you haven't lived right? Are you here this morning? Come on. Now, another person that did everything right and he was rewarded with disaster was Joseph. You know, Joseph, he tried to live in the fear of God when he was being tempted by the Potiphar's wife. Remember that? He was trying to live in holiness. He was trying to please God. He was trying to honor God. He was trying to do the right thing and he got charged with rape and got thrown into jail. That was his reward. So don't think for a second that if you're in the will of God, everything is going to be fine and dandy. There will be adversity. But regardless, regardless, whether it's your doing or the devil's doing, I pray, like I said earlier, that God will change our perception of adversity. Now, I want to caution you a little bit just so that the religious spirit doesn't go and deceive you. I am not, I am not preaching self-mortification. I am not preaching self-flagellation. Flagellation. Flagellations. There are religion of all kinds would teach self-mortification and self-torture, self-torment so that they could please God or so that they could be closer to God. Are you here this morning? That is a lie. I'll tell you this. Not only religious people do that. A lot of those spiritist people are preaching that too or talking about that. I was watching this documentary, you know. There was this North American uh, uh, Aboriginal chiefs, a guru of some kind. He was being interviewed about how he come in and out of the spirit world. You know how he did it. Some of you probably heard that before. He said, for any now and then, I need to go into the spirit world. And I need to kind of see what's going on in the spirit world. And this is how he did it. He would have somebody to tie his limb backwards, four limbs, tie backwards, would string him up and have him hung on a tree in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the heat and the sun, with no food and no drinks for several days. And the reason is because he said that when I come near to death, when I'm at the gate of death, it would be easier for me to leap into the spirit world. And so that whole exercise was so that he could basically just cause his awareness of his body pass on so that he can be more aware of his spirit. Now, we can have a conversation and teaching on that a lot, on that a lot, but I don't want to get into that. But the whole idea is that if you want to go near the Spirit, if you want to go to the Spirit, if you want to be near to God, you want to near to heaven, you need to suffer. Friends, 
do not torture yourself. Do not cause harm to yourself because you have been created in the image of God. It is the devil that want to destroy you. And the devil will come up with all this theory, whether it's through religion or spiritual code or the new age, whatever. The purpose of the devil is to destroy your beauty, destroy what God has created, destroy the image of God that is on you. Don't let him do that. He had called you, however, to live in victory in the midst of adversity. Now, I have eight benefits here of adversity. I mentioned a few already, but I have eight more. So in the interest of time, I'm not going to go through them all in detail. I'm just going to fast, quickly go through most of them, and I'm going to focus on a few that we can have a conversation on. Are you here? You good? You still awake? You blessed so far? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay, here we go. First is adversity helps us to get our focus and priority right back to where it matters. Jesus said, blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness for theirs. Their conscience, their awareness, their desire, their focus will be of the kingdom of God. That's the promise. And their portion, their inheritance will be the kingdom of God. Every time when you come into persecution and adversity... It causes you to refocus on what matters eternally. You know, if you ask a person who is in great adversity, say, for example, being, being diagnosed with some kind of Ill, terminal disease or whatever, do you think that person cares about how big of a TV he has? How nice of a car he is driving? Are you here this morning? Because when you're in adversity, your focus will change. And sometimes God needs your focus to change. And he didn't create that adversity. He allowed you to go through it. So that instead of going down that road that is all obsessed with things in the world, stuff in the world, you will get refocused into your calling and you remember the calling of God in your life and what matters eternally. You know, we can easily get caught up with the things of the world, the material things of the world. We all, including me. If you're not careful, you can get easily caught up with all kinds of stuff in the world. The other day I was um, really disturbed by the news I was reading, both sides of the borders, crazy things going on in our world. I was really angry, and I, was, I couldn't pray. You know, when you're angry, you can't pray. When you're angry, you can't worship God. When you're angry, you're, like, you're just angry. You can't say, oh, I love you, Lord. No, you're just not there. So I was sitting there fuming mad, and the Lord said this to me. Son, it's not your battle. It's not your fight. Why are you putting emotion into those things that you have no control over and that has nothing to do with you? It's really not your fight. Why are you picking side? That was a great advice. Sometimes we get caught up in things. And it is His grace to pull us back. And sometimes it's through adversity that helps us to refocus 
Adversity help us to release idols in our lives. I mentioned that a little bit earlier, right? Sometimes we get caught up in the possession of things. Adversity sometimes help us to refocus again. Adversity breaks us from our self-sufficiency. That's one of the most dangerous things for a Christian who wants to walk in miracle. The self-sufficiency heart, the, the attitude of self-sufficiency is so dangerous because it inhibits the move of God in your life. For me as a pastor, whenever I feel like I'm very confident is when I'm really scared. It's because when I feel self-sufficient is when God would take a step back. He will not get involved. He will not compete with what I want to do. He is a gentle Holy Spirit. He will let me go struggle myself. You know, whenever you feel self-sufficient in your work, self-sufficient in your finances, self-sufficient in your relationship with God, self-sufficient in your relationship with your spouse, your family. Whenever you think you can do it, watch out. God is going to step back. I often tell the worship, well, I told the worship team this weekend, you know, and I also mentioned it yesterday, last, yesterday, you know, in one of the gatherings. I say that there has to be always, always a tension in us to feel insufficient in everything. It's, a, it's, it's not a comfortable feeling. It's like, oh, I just feel like I'm not confident enough. That's a good feeling because that allows God to step in on your behalf. When you feel like, oh, I'm okay, I'm good, I can do this myself, I am smart enough, I'm anointed enough, I'm talented enough, I don't need God. As soon as you step into that self-confidence, then you step away from moving under the move of God. I want to encourage you, don't feel so self-sufficient, but always have attention in your heart, say, God, I need you, I absolutely need you. I cannot do a thing without you. I cannot preach a word without you. I cannot manage my finances without you. I cannot manage my marriage without you. Oh God, help me. I can't raise my children without you. I don't, you know, raising children is very difficult these days. If you don't agree, I know you're in another world. It's very hard. As soon as you think that you know what to do, you have all that it takes to raise good children. Watch out. We always have this tension, must have this tension of desperation for God. God, I need you. I need you to raise my children. I need you to speak into their lives. I can't help them. I, I can't, I, my words are not enough to change their lives. I need you to help me to raise my children. I need you in my marriage. I need you in my relationship. I need you to learn how to manage things when, I, when I'm being given responsibility to manage things. I need you. I need you, Lord. Every time I feel confident about my, my own investment, guess what? Things just kind of go sideways. I always have to have the, 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 the tension in me. God, I just don't know how to do this. Just teach me. Just teach me. Would you please teach me? That desperation is important. Adversity breaks us from our own self-sufficiency and brings us on our knees to cry out to God. If you're going through adversity this morning, it's another invitation from heaven to run to God. So run to Him and say, God, I need your help. I absolutely need your help. I can do it on my own. Adversity also helps us to change our course. You know, as a pastor who had planted this church, I have ideas about how church should be. I have an idea how to plan a church. 
you know, I was just thinking to myself, you know, like, it's really easy because I used to be in marketing, you know. We know how to, we know how to market. We know how to promote. And so it's easy, you know. That's what I thought. And it wasn't until I tried everything and nothing worked and then I feel like a disaster that I ran to God. You know, I try everything. I try every trick in the book, if you can call it. Nothing worked. Nothing, nothing worked. So I cry out to God. I fast. Lord, I'm fasting and praying. There's nothing going on. I had enough. I've, just, I've been doing what I think is supposed to be the right thing and nothing happened. Nothing is going on. Why God? I try everything. At the place of desperation, at the place when I felt like there's nothing else I can do, I say, God, have your way. I surrender. Have your way. I change course in the midst of adversity. In fact, we were running out of money, the church. Didn't know what to do. I mean, what do you do? Go and, you know, back the congregation and ask people to give and preach a giving sermon. I, I just don't know how to do that. I'm not good at it. I cry out to God. I change course. And that's when God changed my life. This is what he said to me. Rest, stand down, do nothing. What do you mean? Well, do nothing, rest. I'm going to take over. Well, if I had been successful in that road that I was traveling down in, do you think I'd discover rest? I'll be still striving today. I'll be full of strive. I'll be putting pressure on people. I'll be preaching sermon that put pressure on you, and you wouldn't come anymore. Yes? We've all been to those churches before. Hello? But God has to put me in a place of desperation, adversity, if you may, so that I can cry out to him. Whenever you think you can do it, watch out. Next, adversity often would precede great triumph for many great men and women of God in the Bible. Do you remember David before he was crowned king, after he was being prophesied, anointed to be king? He had to run for his life most of the time in that period. He had to run for his life. He's constantly, he was constantly under threat. His life was constantly under threat. And if you read Psalm, you will see that he often cried out to God. Oh God, help me. People will turn on him. People want to stone him. His own people wanted to stone him. And even after he became king, and that his son would want to take over his country by force, Epsilon, and that his son would, 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 would want, to, want to humiliate him, and he would be running for his life, and, and then people would be throwing stone at him and mock at him. But David was the greatest king of all in the nation, in the history of Israel. Why? Because he allowed adversity to shape and change him, to change his course, to change his mind, to change his thinking. David, in his days, though were blessed, had many, many wars. He was always on the run. He was always on the defensive. He was always at war. 
you've heard about um, in our modern days, you know, Kenneth Hagin, some of our faith hero. I grew up under his ministry, just love this faith thing that he teaches. But you know what? He came from a place where he was told he was going to die as a young age, at a young age. That struggle helped him to become the greatest hero of faith in modern history. I still listen to him. Yeah, I still listen to him from time to time. Sometimes I can't sleep, I'll turn Kenneth Hagin on and he'll be talking to me. Still learning. I can tell you his story better than he can tell you his story. Because I heard it so many times. But he went through a lot of struggles, uncertainty, adversity, mockery. People had written him in half. Even doctors told him it was over. Another hero of mine is Dr. Cho in Korea. If you know his story, of course he was sick and God healed him. But one time when he was building his church, he went bankrupt. So everybody was coming after him. Everybody was leaving, you know. A lot of people leave church, right, when church going bankrupt. Of course, you know, who wants to. Anyway, so he, he was really sad. And, and he, he, was, he was sitting on the top level, I believe, of this unfinished building that he was building. I think it was seventh level. It was an office building right beside the church. And the reason he was sitting there is because he was planning to jump over and kill himself. But in that moment of great desperation, God spoke to him. Changed his life around. One of the things that God said is that if you go down, all the people who, 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 who trusted me because of what you preached is going to go down with you. You better not go down, man. Back to the Bible. Of course, Joseph, I talk about it. Had many, many adversities from the day he was young, being betrayed by his brothers, and then going to work as a slave, and then being blamed for something that he didn't do, and trying to do the right thing and got thrown to jail. And then after being in jail and doing the right thing, and never got rewarded, forgotten altogether. But he overcame. He overcame the adversity of betrayal, the adversity of, of false, falsely being accused, adversity of disappointment. Adversity preceded all these amazing giants. As you know, Joseph became the prime minister of the most powerful country at this time. Influence beyond his imagination. Some say, I don't want adversity. I don't need to be great men. Listen, whether you want to be great or not, you will face adversity. The only way you won't face is stop breathing. But you're sitting here today because God wants you to know that in your adversity, triumph is at the door. You need to go grab it. Don't run away from it. Don't, don't, don't complain. Don't just believe that in that adversity, like many great heroes of faith, have seen triumph. You will see triumph. You will see triumph greater than you could possibly imagine. Benefits number six. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. I mentioned this last week. 
Paul the apostle was in Ephesus and he didn't want to leave Ephesus to go back to Jerusalem or go through Corinth and go back to Jerusalem because there was a white door for effective work has opened to him. And there are also many advers adversaries. Do you know that every time when God opened a door of opportunity, it's never smooth sailing? Every time when a door of opportunity is open to you, the devil will always follow the opportunity with adversaries, with opposition, with adversity. He said, I, just, I don't want any more opportunity. What, you know, you still have adversity again. The only way you, you won't have adversity is you don't live anymore. Great doors of opportunity always come with opposition. With opposition to what God wants to do in your life. With opposition to your life. If you are afraid of adversity, then you're going to miss many opportunities that God would have presented to you in your lifetime. Don't run away from adversity. Pay attention. You remember the story I told you about the disciples. I mentioned that they were in the midst of storms. Can you imagine they have their eyes closed all the time because they were so scared? You know, most of us, many of me, okay, let's say me, okay, me. You know, if you put, I remember when my mom first put me on a roller coaster when I was 10 years old. She let me go on a roller coaster. I actually didn't want to go to a roller coaster. That really had traumatized my life. I love her. She's amazing. Amen. Hallelujah. So, so you know what I did most of the time? I closed my eyes. You know, that sensation of dropping was awful. You know, zero gravity sensation. Ugh. I closed my eyes. I just didn't want to see anything. <laughs> but you know, once I become brave, like 30 years later, because I was traumatized for a long time, out of peer pressure, you know, from my sister, whatever. So we went on a little coaster. And I, I have worked up the courage, and now I open my eyes. That was a different experience altogether. It was like a revelation of some sort, you know. It's like, whoa, look at this, it's so fun, you know. We always close our eyes in adversity and so we missed out the miracles and revelation of God. Friends, I want to encourage you. When you are in the midst of adversity, there may be opportunity just knocking at your door and you don't see because you have your eyes closed. Open your eyes. Number seven, I'm almost finished. God often speaks in adversity. Now, they don't have the scripture, but I'm going to read you Job 36, verse 15. The Bible says in Job 36, verse 15, if you have a note, you can write it down. 36, 15. He delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. God opens your ears by adversity. You are able to hear clearer. You'll be see clearer. He uses adversity. For an amazing eternal purpose. Jacob was on a run, but he met God. Remember, his brother swore that he's going to kill him because he stole his birthright and stole his blessing. And so Jacob was on a run. And when he was on a run, in the middle of the night, God showed up. He saw windows of heaven open and with angels were ascending and descending from heaven. And then later on in his life, was running away from his father-in-law, trying to escape from his father-in-law. And then not only to escape from his father-in-law, he was about to meet the brother that wanted to kill him. That was adversity, all right. And he met God again. 
and he wrestled with God, the Bible says, until God blessed him. Not only was he not afraid of adversity, he was charging straight on with head first into adversity. He was fighting with God. He said, unless you bless me, I am not going to let you go. And the Bible says that he was touched on the, on the hip, on the, on the thigh, on the thigh, thigh, thigh. And he was limping for the rest of his life. A lot of people say, oh, what a shame. He was limping. But that was a sign of his blessing. Some of us don't want to limp for the rest of our life because we, we just don't want to. We want to be perfect, all perfect. But Jacob understood better. He would rather limp for the rest of his life and have the blessing of God over him than walking perfectly with no blessing of God. What's your choice today? What are you choosing today? Are you choosing to run? Last one. This is a good one, actually. Adversity helps us discover who our real friends are. Proverbs 17, 17 tells us this. A friend loves at all time, but a brother, a true friend, is born for what? Adversity. It is great when you're going through trials and tough times. You know who your friends are. There are many people will say, oh, you know, like, oh, we love you, we're behind you, and then they cut and dry when you're in trouble. There's a reason for it. That is for the trouble because God wants to reveal who your friends are sometimes. Let me make a statement. I'm going to close. Worship team, go ahead. Come on. How many of you love green tea? Green tea. No? Like three people? What is this? You just don't want to respond, right? You just don't want to sit there and look at me. I'm not entertaining you. I'm not an entertainer. How many of you like green tea? Come on, let me see your hand. You know the power of green tea, right? You know the power of green tea, what it does to you. Right? It got, what is it, antioxidant. It, it's got a lot of amazing stuff. But you realize that green tea is powerless unless you put it in the hot water. Are you here this morning? You may have all the potential in you. You may have all the talents in you. You may have all the gifting in you. You may have all the anointing in you. Unless it's being put through the hot water, nothing is coming out. You and I need to just embrace what, is, what we have in adversity because God wants to ooze His glory out of you. Reveal His glory through and in your life. Adversity is never designed to please you. Adversity is designed to shape you and to develop you. So it's not a vacation, you see, adversity. Let me say this one thing. You remember Peter? He was so enthusiastic. Not this Peter, but you know Peter in the Bible. Hallelujah. You know, Apostle Peter, he was so enthusiastic about following Jesus. He said, you know, Jesus, I'm just going to die with you. I don't care if nobody follow you. I'm just going to die with you. He was trying to 
be tough to embrace adversity on his own strength, you see. And God says, you know, the devil is sifting at your door and he's going to destroy you. He's coming to destroy you. He was so confident on his own, you know, I can do it. And then Jesus prophesied that he's going to fail and he did. He failed in the first adversity he faced. But the grace of God tells us this. He became the greatest of the apostle. He was the lead. God doesn't look at your failure and determine your destiny. Especially when you complain, give up hope. He understands that. The word of God says that when there are many failures, when there's sin, grace is much more abound. What it means is this. That in spite of our failures, in spite of our inability to handle adversity prop, properly, as it were, the grace of God says this, get up. Let's do it again. Because this time, I'm going to make you great. This time, you trust in my Holy Spirit. You trust in the Holy Spirit I give you. You trust in the grace I give you. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to give you, I'm going to make you a world changer. I'm going to make you, cause you to become fisher of men. I'm going to cause you to change the world on my behalf. I'm going to reveal my glory in and through you. It's okay because my grace is more than your failure, just mistakes and everything that, that you are ashamed of. I am able to do great things through you. I want to give you opportunity to pray with the prayer counselor later on. And I'll be out here too. For those of you who are going through adversity today. You're going through some sort of struggle today. And that you need somebody to stand with you and pray with you. We'll pray with you. That in this season of adversity. You will experience great triumph. And that you are not bitter. And you don't complain and you run away or close your eyes and don't want to see anything. But he'll give you the boldness to open your eyes. To say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Because this is the promise of God. In Psalm 34, 19, you can take it to the bank. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You may be going through affliction, in other words, but only for a season. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No trial has ever over, has overtaken you that is not faced by others. And God is faithful. Say, God is faithful. He will not let you be tried beyond what you are able to bear. But with the trial, we also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. Friends, your trials, your adversity is short term, very short. It feels like long term sometimes. Where are you, God? Why can't you answer my prayer? I'm crying out to you. In the night of day when nobody's around, I'm weeping and crying. Where are you? Well, here's your answer this morning to your cry. He is faithful. He will deliver you out of them all. But more than that, 